Welcome everyone to Stock in Development, the podcast where two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. I'm your co-host Eitan and I'm joined as always by Carl. Hey Carl, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty great. Uh, happy to be back in Oklahoma this week, which I don't know. I With the time zones and the time changes and everything, I have no idea what time it is and I think I... I ate dinner at like four o'clock but it was six o'clock i don't know it's been a weird day but beyond that i'm doing great uh and we have a fantastic guest with us this week who's already been a guest on the show kevin Sachs. welcome back kevin hello 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 so happy to be back um yeah thank you for having me yeah if we're talking oscars that means we're talking awards which means we had to invite back our resident award expert to keep us honest Oh, I got notes. <laughs> yeah, he, notes galore. He's also giving us much-needed structure for this, which I don't know. We, we're pretty good about finding structure for our episodes, but we have we're bad about making spreadsheets for our episode. And Kevin helped us out there, so very excited to be kind of walking through all the nominations, issuing our predictions for the year, and then uh, talking about stuff we want to celebrate that maybe wasn't here or is not nominated in, in the right categories for us. Happy to be the pod Steven Soderbergh for this. <laughs> we'll take it. Before jumping into everything Oscars, why don't we do some news? Yeah, so this week, I've just been seeing so much NFT mania, uh, so non-fungible tokens mania on Twitter and elsewhere, and lots of insane numbers being tossed around, so I throughout that we covered in news this week and both of you were very on board with kind of digging into i don't want to call it a fad because it's probably going to stick around and be annoying forever but this thing called nfts that everyone's so hyped about i think my my biggest thing this week was and we'll get into a lot of detail but like it's like what the hell is this i feel like i open twitter and then all of a sudden i see this craze for these digital assets i'm like what wait i don't even know what fungible means but from what I can gather, something fungible, it's something that like you can exchange and everything is the same. You can change a $10 bill for another $10 bill, or you can change a $10 bill for two $5 bills. But non-fungible tokens are things, and not, if you forget about digital assets, are anything that is kind of unique. So even a house, it's kind of a non-fungible token, or the Mona Lisa is a non-fungible token. Something that for you to kind of come up it's, it's unique. It doesn't exist like that in any other way. But kind of when you start getting into the digital world, it starts getting weird and difficult to understand, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's a pretty accurate assessment of fungibility. And the, <laughs> the way that this is being enforced is instead of, like you said, kind of like the physical production constraints of only 1,000 things were made, here it is... Only 1,000 things were uploaded into the Ethereum blockchain and therefore have a record of, of who's owned them in their wallet. It's, yeah, it, it's it's just, it's Bitcoin or blockchain-powered DRM, essentially, for after we got rid of DRM 15 years ago. Without going too much into, like, a critique of capitalism, I think, creating value <laughs> out of nothing... Uh, is not a new thing, but usually you get to own that nothing. 
mm -hmm. um, that somebody has ascribed value to and how I understand these NFTs is uh, it's like a signed baseball card like but you don't get to own it so for example you can own an NFT of a music album but you don't attain any of the copyright this is not Martin Shkreli buying the like one copy of the Wu-Tang <laughs> album mm -hmm. You can still go on Spotify and listen to the Kings of Leon album that is going to be released as an NFT, um, as I, if I understand correctly. Um, I don't know. It seems, it seems very, very strange to me. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been rumblings of this for years. I remember a few years ago, Kodak announced that, or the shell of whatever Kodak is, which is basically a holder, holding company for brands and, and patents at this point, they announced that they were working on, like, Kodak coin or whatever they called it. And it was kind of this, where it's just, uh, there is a problem with artists getting paid in a world where everything is all-you-can-eat streaming and based off of, like, infinitesimal revenues of millions of streams. So having some way of actually creating an asset in a world where everything is reproducible instantly, there is an appeal there from a uh, like paying the artist, supporting the artist perspective. But at the same time, other things already exist and have been popular, like artist merch or uh, concert experiences or vinyl or whatnot. Like there are collector's markets for real objects, which is what I definitely want. And... All of this is just going to be co-opted by big organizations like the NBA anyway and like kind of corrupted and moved away into these financial intermediaries. It's not going to actually give people freedom and power. Yeah, like the NBA is a, is a great example. They have launched NBA Top Shop, uh, Top Shot, where you basically buy a like a stack of base. Yeah, like actually you buy a pack and in the pack you have different highlights and different highlights have different values so you can see a guy celebrating on the bench which is maybe worth i don't know five dollars and then you can have a lebron james dunk that sold last week for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. you don't own any part of this video if you want to watch the video you can go on youtube and look for the video and you can find it on the nba's uh, YouTube channel, uh, nonetheless. But I saw uh, in an article that Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, said that he thinks that in five years, Top Shot will make up up to 30% of all league revenue, which seems insane. insane. Yeah. So I'm guessing Mark Cuban has some, has some crypto and blockchain yeah. investments. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just rereading re the Random Walk Down Wall Street. I don't know if you read that book, but it talks about the like the the basics of financial valuations, and in mm -hmm. this case, it's out of stocks. And it says like there are two main ways you can value something. The first one is fundamentals, right? You can look at a company, uh, AT and T. Carl used to work at AT and T, and say they have these assets, they make this amount of money. I think they're gonna make. X amount of money in the future, I'm going to discount it. And if I want to own X percent of that, I think it's worth blah. So you based what you think something is worth based on what you're actually going to get in return. And then there is other way of valuing something, which is called, it's like the castles in the sky theory, mm -hmm. which the only way I set a value to something 
or why I want to hold something is because I think I can sell it to somebody else at a higher price. For example, that's what happened with GameStop a couple of weeks ago. It's like people got excited and the only reason they got in was because they thought it was going to continue to go up and they were going to be able to sell it. Like it basically, it the fundamental thing you have to believe for castles in the sky is like there is somebody else dumber than you that is going to, <laughs> you know, you're going to sell it to and that person believes he's going to sell it to somebody else. And this is what that feels like. I mean, I know I agree with you, Kevin, without getting too philosophical and thinking about capitalism, right? Value is completely subjective in a lot of ways, right? Your house that you bought during your la our last podcast, by the way, <laughs> the value that you give to it can be very different than the value that I give to it, right? I don't live in Toronto. For me, it's worthless. But that doesn't, that doesn't change the value that you give to it. And then there is also the market value that somebody's willing to pay that might still be different from what you value. So that's always kind of weird. But for these things in this world where everything is reproducible, where everything you can access in different ways, it's very complicated for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, like I know what we paid for this house and then I took out an insurance on this house and then they told me what they would, they value this if this house burns down. And it's a very big gap between the two values, let me tell you. <laughs> I was literally having this discussion with with uh, Alex last week, where uh, so we went to the Biltmore Estate in Asheville this past weekend, which was really incredible and interesting, and uh, is like its own critique of capitalism in itself. But we were looking, and the price of the mansion was like in like. Somebody priced out how much the mansion was worth. It was like $60 million, and then the land was worth like a few hundred million dollars. And it was like, this much land and this large of an estate is not worth that on an open market. Like, from an insurance investment perspective, absolutely. But it's just very funny, like, how much an open market, an auction system can just jack that up. Which happened this week where a Christie's auction, uh, an artist named Beeple sold a... Was it a JPEG? I think it was literally just a JPEG that was uh, uploaded into Ethereum and turned into an NFT for $69 million at auction. We're all, sh we're all shaking our heads here. It's, yeah. yeah, it's... The, the art world, like the fine arts world, is out of control anyways. Yeah. And uh, most people who deal with fine art, with these high values... The, the art is essentially in a temperature-controlled locker and people make, like, a copy to be able to have it in their house. Or then you you give it away to a museum for it to appreciate in, in value. All that aside, at least you know somewhere there is the real copy of the artwork and not a JPEG. Yeah, not, not only... I mean, you mentioned it, I think, Carl, but... It's a JPEG, but you can download, you can get that image. Yeah. I think he retained the copyright so he can still sell like copies of it. Right. But there is a, a record on the blockchain that says that whoever paid $60 million for it owns it, even though anyone has access to it. Because it's originally a JPEG. I would love to see the legal ramifications of this. Like if somebody is going, like an artist or some, somebody who purchases, like a patron here is going to sue someone for damages for distributing like a, a screenshot of an NFT and like how a judge could possibly actually value that for damages. Yeah. I'm sure it'll happen soon. What 
let's use this maybe as a way to transition to our next newest item. What would you buy an NFT of? Hmm. If, if, if anything. I would buy it of something like uh, the Martin Shkreli thing is, is pretty salient where like if it was something where it was truly limited and it was something I could only consume as an NFT, like an album from a favorite band or a, a new movie or something like if if somebody did the inverse of like the Radiohead in Rainbows experiment back in 2007 where they gave it away for free, but like they, it was only on an NFT and that's the only way you could get it, I would buy an NFT. But I would not buy like one as an investment, probably. Yeah, I don't know if I if I mess with it yet. I like if if uh, if people or artists are just selling NFTs to get a mailing list. I don't know why they don't start a Patreon. Yeah, or a Substack. Or a Substack. Yeah, no, I'm not playing around because not even as a not even as an investment, right? But like, I would buy an NFT of uh, a star. It's like one of those things, like, what does it mean to own a star? Right. Nothing. <laughs> but if we all decide that the way we decide who owns it is based on the blockchain, I would like to own a star or just say that I own a star. Yeah, there's got to be a forcing function that forces me to engage with this over, like, literally any other method of, like, tracking what I own. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of... Uh, investments that may or may not be joke investments you want to update us on how your uh helios and madison stock is doing aton oh yes we are back so if you haven't listened to our episode last week you should first of all <laughs> but we talked about movie pass and how the the parent company helios and matheson yes matheson i always say it wrong i say like carrie matheson from homeland uh, the company went out of business it disappeared. It doesn't exist anymore. It didn't file for bankruptcy and then, you know, reorganized and it's back. It disappeared. And when it was going through that process, I decided, and the, the stock was valued at five cents, I decided to buy $100 worth of it. And just like for the sake of it, say, there is 0.05% chance that this is going to survive, but let's play around. We loved MoviePass for a lot of reasons that you heard about last week. And... <laughs> Today, Carl sent me a message <laughs> from a tweet that the website moviepass.ventures, which we don't know if it's exactly the same moviepass <laughs> or if it's just the arm distribution side or a joke, literally said, what? The movie is about to begin? And then it had a mm -hmm. countdown for six days from today. And the stock popped 280% today. So... My value that was basically zero a couple of weeks ago, I was telling Carly had already gone up. It's now worth, it's back up to being worth $20, <laughs> which is crazy because this company doesn't exist anymore. So talk about castles in the sky and people buying nonsense. Like, unless there is some financial juju, like I don't know about and I don't understand that they're going to use these stocks if MoviePass continues to exist. Uh, anyway. On a non-stock related basis, this is an interesting news. Let's see what happens. I think it's a joke. I smell a post on Wall Street Bets subreddit. <laughs> I've, I was already looking at the uh, R Movie Pass on Reddit, the the subreddit, and 
people there's one post from the mod of this dead group essentially saying like hey they might be back and it's all these people talking about their investment and how much they're gonna they're gonna ride it and it's like so yeah it seems very wall street betsy at this point maybe maybe it'll get cross-posted and they'll drive that price up and you can actually i really think you should try to make money off the Zaytan. it'd be so funny if you could make money <laughs> <laughs> all i needed is for it to go back to five cents and a little bit more but i just want to give like for context like in the height of um movie pass like during september october 2017 the stock was worth like 27 dollars I just needed to go up to six cents for me to make money. I'm just that's, putting that that's in That's like in AMC, but, uh, um, what AMC was at, right? Like 20 bucks before before the ride? I think so. Maybe. The valuation, I don't know how they compare uh, in terms of the market cap. But yeah, now Helios and Mathison, the market cap is 11.5 million. Love. For what? I don't know. And anyway. Just an interesting update to that. It's a shame that stocks are kind of digital assets now, and you don't, you no longer have like big books filled of certi- filled with certificates saying you own shares. It'd be fun to have those laying around with the MoviePass logo on them. Absolutely. Let's say we'll keep you updated if I become um, a millionaire by by next by next podcast. Let's see what the news are. Do we have the legal? Do you have the legal right as a shareholder of these worthless shares to print your own MoviePass? share certificates you should try I it imagine there's a way to do something you can make it an i thought you were gonna say if, great i thought you were gonna say if i had a say as a shareholder to vote on what i think it should happen <laughs> which i guess yes right it's yes. a public company but, you but do? that's why i don't understand them you should do a an lbo of of the like three dollars worth of stock that's out there right now actually no it's way higher than three dollars never mind <laughs> I like I like Kevin's idea. I'm gonna take a picture and I'm gonna do a, an NFT of my assets. Yeah, that's probably worth more than my twenty dollars. What do you say? We talk some Oscars. Let's do it. I want to preamble that last time Kevin was here, we hit our record for longest episode. So let's see let's see how we do today. We're gonna to try to be a little more concise this time, but. That will probably just mean that we go over because every time we try to shoot for a shorter episode, it ends up getting longer. So, especially when we have a guest on, we can't control it. But yeah, Kevin, I would love for you to walk us through. Uh, we we went through this a bit with the Emmy nominations, like how the nomination process works, how voting works. Oscars are a little different. Uh, the Oscars famously has this weird preferential ballot system that shows up in nominations and in in the Best Picture process. So. You can guide us through. We can have kind of a framework for how we're approaching this weird horse betting race that is the Oscars. Right. So Oscars. This year we have the 93rd Academy Awards. They were announced. The nominations were announced yesterday. The ceremony will happen uh, on April 25th. And uh, they announced last week that the ceremony will be held both at the Dolby Theater, which is where it is usually held, and also at Union Station. I have not been at Union Station. Uh, you Cali boys will tell me about the size and feasibility of that venue, but I think it is, um, if we compare it to the Grammys that happened on Sunday, 
uh, probably a measure to have people in attendance, maybe the most um, prominent categories, the people might be in attendance and ready to take home their statuettes in person. Uh, somewhere in a van <laughs> between the two venues will be um, our fave, Steven Soderbergh, <laughs> trying to cut together a uh, watchable ceremony. Uh, I hope... Uh, closer to the quality of the Emmys than the quality of the Golden Globes, which were a mess. Um, mm. But let's talk about how we get to the nominees um, every year. So people always get angry at the <laughs> Academy. And I have... I've Understatement. This, <laughs> I have beaten this <laughs> drum with the Emmys and the Golden Globes where the academy itself as a like governing body like the 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 board of directors or the governors of the academy they have no say there's nobody saying this there's only going to be eight movies in best picture this year there's only um i don't know uh, daniel kaluuya and lakeith stanfield are both supporting actors even though one of them at least should be uh, the lead actor in a movie that has both their roles in the title. <laughs> it's basically all decided by the guilds. So every guild, so that's actors, directors, producers, um, makeup people, cinematographers, set design, sound, they vote in their own little body. They nominate these uh, usually it's f it's five in every category usually usually we can talk when it is not and for best picture everybody votes and it's between five and ten nominees that change is i think since 2007 when to the aghast of the public the dark knight was not nominated as best picture so it's been fluid. It's mostly been eight or nine. I don't think... Has it ever been ten? I don't actually remember. I don't think it's gotten it, up to ten yet. Not even the year of Toy Story 3? I don't remember. Uh, but in order to kind of understand why that is difficult to happen, the ten nominees, uh, we have to understand the mechanics of these nominations. And like the listeners of this podcast are probably aware, you guys love math, so here's the math. <laughs> uh, I, I've tried to break it down as easily as possible. So basically, a nominee has to get kind of a to a golden number to be able to uh, be nominated. And how do we get to this golden number? I've made an easy example. So the biggest body. Uh, in the academy is actors. They're about so there's about eight, between eight and a half and uh, eight point nine thousand voting members in the academy. Um, I couldn't find the same number twice. I, I looked all day last year. It was eight and a half thousand uh, voting members. I think it's a bit higher this year. Uh, so let's it's it's about twelve hundred um, actors, but let's say. Let's say there are 600 directors. I don't actually know the number. So 600 directors, and they are asked, list your five favorite directors from this year. There's no long list. There is maybe a long list that they release, but 
they can basically write down whatever names they want and rank them from one to five. Then 600 people send in their ballots. So they count the number of ballots that they receive and they divide it to the num through the numbers of slots available plus one. So there's five slots available for directors plus one is six. So 600 submissions divided by six. So the golden number for directors is 100. So a, a director needs to receive 100 votes to become a nominee. Okay. Now, how are the submissions counted? First, they go through all the ballots, number one choices. So if some, if some director gets 120 number one choices, they're automatically a nominee and they're slotted in. For all of them who get a number of votes but don't meet the uh, golden... Let's say there, there aren't... No, it's impossible to have five right away uh, who qualify immediately. So they go to the person who received the least number one submission. So let's say somebody wrote Carl as a number one for a film you made this year, Carl, but you only get one vote. So they go to that ballot and they look at the number two choice and they add it to uh, whoever that is and we'll see how many people get to this golden number. So in the best picture, they divide through 11 because there's 10 possible slots plus one, 11. And so they see if there are 10 movies that year that can somehow get through the golden number. So let's say 9,900 submissions. Um, uh, you need 990, right? That's math. <laughs> 900. Sorry. Around. Around yes. that. You need around 900 votes. And that's really hard to hit because there are a lot of movies and some people fill out a ballot where maybe four or all five of their choices are for movies that, that are not going to make it. So that's the process, basically. And then once the, ceremony, once the main voting window starts, everybody votes on every category. So you said that everyone can vote but once it's all open for voting, it's majority rules for every category except best picture, right? In in terms of that voting process? Yes, it's a majority rule um, for every category, but best picture where it's again a ranked ballot, uh, where you usually then get the most agreeable movie rather than mm -hmm. the best movie. Uh, probably... The most famous recent example, and I think to the detriment of everybody here, is I think Roma. They don't ever release the vote totals, but if if I had to guess, I think Roma probably got the most number one votes, but didn't end up winning because of down ballot consequences. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that, how a Green Book kind of. Yeah, that's win. how we got the Green Book year. And I mean, if you look at that year, it's like you have. Black Klansman, The Favorite, Roma. Um, well, certainly The Favorite and Roma, I think, are, are kind of in the, the weirder people really loved it category. Uh, then you have Black Klansman, Star is Born, kind of hovering around, like, a little bit more challenging, but also super populist. Then you have, like, Black Panther, super, super populist. 
Green Book. Like, it's it's interesting how it just gets so stratified out of the way. And then you have Vice, which I guess, like, the acting guild, like, pushed that in. I, I don't know how Vice <laughs> got in there. We all, I think, like Vice here, but weirdly hated for uh, a Best Picture nominee that's, like, not as... That's not a green book. Right. And I think this is interesting because it, it, it shows a couple of things. You were, you were already talking a little bit about it. For like the Roma and Green Book, there is also this scenario where everyone can make their decisions on how to vote on the nomination based on whatever they want, right? And this was three, two years ago where Netflix getting nominated for a Best Picture was kind of, you know... And like Kevin said, even though it might have been the one that got the most number one votes it maybe also got a ton of last votes for people that were, you know, it was their third or fourth, but they were, like, angry at Roma. Mm -hmm. So if they put them all the way at the bottom, even with that math, it doesn't work. And then the other thing that I think is interesting that you were explaining, Kevin, it's that you can start to see the types of movies that are going to get nominated. Well, not exactly, right? But if the Actors Guild is by far the largest, around 25% of the Academy Awards, and they vote, you know, they're hopefully their objective, but they the thing they know the most is acting. I think, like Carl said, when we say, you know, the acting guild pushed it, it's just because there are so many people and the nominations are actually kind of by majority. They, the ones that they rank highest, end up probably getting in. Yeah. Uh, the outs- because they consider acting important. So maybe something else we should mention is you can only belong to one of the branches. Mm-hmm. So if you are an actor like George Clooney and you make a movie as a director or uh, like Brad Pitt who's a producer on a lot of projects you can join any of the other guild or you can but then you give up your spot um, in the other one and because of the outsized importance of actors you very clearly see certain movies very 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 rarely being nominated um, for best picture such as animated movies there is no reason in 2018 why Mm -hmm. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is not a best picture nominee. Um, it, it it was not a the strongest of years. I think there were a, a couple really strong, you know, movies in twenty eighteen. But towards like always, the back half is kind of okay. Mm-hmm. And when I go through my top ten lists every year, there usually is a animated uh, movie in there, and I feel it's like that for a lot of people. And I think the reason why the Academy floated this weird popular Oscar um, idea a couple of years ago is to reward movies that people go to the theater and see, which is horror movies, animated movies, and superhero mm-hmm. movies. That's why I, I think Parasite winning is so interesting, because it, it's less that it's a a foreign film, which obviously it's remarkable that a foreign language film, especially one from South Korea, won Best Picture. But it's like, if it was made in English with white people, it would be like a pretty like standard, like great thriller movie, like something in the league of like a Fincher film or Widows or something where it has a lot to say, but it's also a genre picture. And I think it's really fascinating that a genre picture won Best Picture last year. And it just kind of got sucked into the the narrative of being a South Korean movie. But I think that shows a bit of a sea change as well, hopefully, for kind of more interesting nominees or winners going forward. Mm -hmm. And I think we can clearly see from the list we're about to talk about, but also last year and even 2018. I mean, 
Roma, after all, is a like Spanish language black and white movie. Yeah. The Academy has been changing, um, and the stuff that's being nominated and the stuff that's being rewarded, I think, is markedly different than pre twenty sixteen, uh, when we had the Oscar So White campaign, and I mean, kudos to them. All the other award bodies maybe should take note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it's useful to start going through the list because we'll we can highlight some of the quirks as we go. But yeah, like the one you mentioned, something that is different in the Oscars from like the Golden Globes is that if you are a well a foreign language film that I think they they changed the name this year right to international feature, yeah. you can also be nominated for best picture in the Golden Globes. You can't and that's what happened to minari they put them didn't put it in foreign language and then it couldn't it didn't get nominated for best picture in drama which nomadland won so now it's kind of an interesting it, it happened also with roma where you get yeah. into the oscars without having kind of that sign of how it would have compared um same with animated movies i don't know how it works in the golden gloves if they can be in best animated and also in best picture but here is the same like Toy Story 3, I think, got nominated for Best Picture a couple of years ago. And um, so you can be doubly nominated for Picture. You can't be doubly nominated, as we'll see, in Actor. Yeah. Animation is a weird category. Actually, I did look up. You were correct that it, that's 2010 was the only year with 10 nominees. And that is when Toy Story 3 got in. If you look at that list, it's a lot of the genres are all over the map on that one. So I think people really took the mission of the wider category to heart that year and then forgot it for a bit. But yeah, animated ones, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast is the only one to be nominated when there wasn't an animation award already. Um, and there really wasn't a rule change or anything. It's just, I think to Kevin's point, people just don't vote them, vote for them like real mo- like real movies in air quotes, because obviously we think all think they're real movies. For actors, it's a livelihood thing, right? That's like, true. Don't be replaced by something drawn. Mm-hmm. But hey, Marvel's kind of splitting the difference there too, and <laughs> <laughs> you don't even need to exist to be an actor. <laughs> Let's go, Kevin. Guide us through this uh, through these um, categories. Yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about who was nominated for Best Picture? We'll quickly talk about each movie. Um, I have seen most of them. I don't know about you guys. And yeah, uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll encounter some more of these discussion points. Uh, I think the movies that are not on here maybe speak louder uh, than the ones that are on here. I think in general, this is a very interesting and good list of movies. Um, maybe a couple ones that I would have liked to see there are not here but let's let's uh let's go through it um does anybody have them in front of them oh yeah here in uh, in alphabetical order the father judas and the black messiah mank minari nomadland promising young woman sound of metal and the trial of the chicago seven so eight nominees this year um i think the Father is the one that nobody of us has seen. It's very hard to see. It's only in theaters currently. It's a movie about 
Anthony Hopkins having uh, dementia. And mm -hmm. from all I've heard, it is a wonderful performance by Sir Anthony Hopkins and the Academy's new favorite, Olivia Coleman. Um, that is kind of all I can say <laughs> about it. Uh, the main actors in this movie have been recognized with acting nominations as well. But uh, yeah, that's kind of all I can say. I don't think it will win. But uh, I'm, I'm uh, really excited to seek it out. I like both these actors a lot. And I think we have seen a bunch of these um, kind of dementia movies. And not all of them, I think, are equally successful. I remember watching Still Alice, which mm -hmm. was a very tough watch. We have kind of a... Yeah. Uh, family history of dementia and that was a tough on everybody i actually just the other week watched the new movie supernova with uh, stanley tucci and colin firth mm -hmm. uh, which has similar uh, themes it was a very nice movie now streaming on hbo um, go seek it out it's a very quiet movie uh, as i imagine so is the father it's the same studio that released um, The Wife a couple years ago, which was equally hard to track down uh, back then. I think that was 20... Was that last year? I think it was last year, yeah. I mean, every year there's a kind of a Best Picture nominee that just doesn't exist, really. Uh, yeah, I think it was two years ago in the, like, because it was the Lady Gaga, Glenn Close race and then yeah. Olivia Colman won. yeah. Uh, so we'll see whenever we get that. But uh, maybe more interestingly, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, I so I have not seen Judas and the Black Messiah or Nomadland yet, which I am very disappointed in myself for not getting to those last week. Uh, Alex and I were going to try and see them in a theater. We got caught up in things. And the only thing we saw in a theater was Doug Lyman's Chaos Walking, which was an incredibly chaotic thing to see in, in a theater alone. Because <laughs> I think we were probably like two of a hundred people that saw that in a theater. Uh, anyway, we'll, I'll talk to Chaos Walking another time. We have too much to cover here. But I'm very interested to see Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, I think it will be one of my favorites for sure. Um, overall, kind of, I'm impressed with the diversity of the nominees, like you said. I think there's a lot of genres and different types of films represented here. All kind of tropey things. I think Promising Young Woman's kind of the, the craziest pivot into, like, a harder genre film mm -hmm. on this list. Sound of Metal, I mean, it's a drumming movie, so my mind goes to Whiplash. But at the same time, it's I think it fits the same milieu where it is very much an indie production that kind of gets elevated and tracks through the awards race. Um, none of these are, are really surprising to me uh, overall based on how the, the, the race has shaped up so far. Sorry, I, I actually thought that in some ways, Sound of Metal is a really traditional choice. In, in essence, it's an, a character dealing with a disability, mm -hmm. a drummer losing his hearing. It's, I think, a more interesting um, turn on the genre, but the Oscar loves that kind of stuff. Um, I think Nomadland is maybe um, the best version of an Into the Wild kind of 
movie and I really liked Chloe Zhao's um, The Rider. Um, I really enjoyed Nomadland as well, but I'm kind of waiting for the backlash for -hmm. the movie. It's been pretty universally acclaimed so far and that never stays that way. I've heard the first couple rumblings this week that they kind of um, are not criticizing Amazon for kind of hiring seasonal workers enough. Maybe we should quickly say Nomadland is about um, documenting kind of these people um, in the Midwest. Well, I don't know what you call that region in the U.S. It's like the west of the Midwest. Uh, kind of uh, Arizona's and the, like North Arizona, the Dakotas, and they've lost their their jobs in industry towns and these people live as modern-day nomads, mostly in their vans. Uh, most of the actors are not professional actors in that movie, similar to the writer, and kind of a dynamite um, lead performance. But yeah, I, I think all of these films um, deserve to be in this race. I read this week a bunch that Promising Young Woman kind of inhabits the Joker slot <laughs> of last year. And as somebody who really liked Promising Young Woman but hated the Joker, um, I don't agree with that. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, let's get to Promising Young Woman, but I just want to make sure we go quickly through all of these to get some more context. So Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, just to close that one out, available on HBO Max, one of these movies that Warner moved so that it's available at the same time as, as um, in theaters. And is this story about um, William O'Neill, who is kind of ends up being uh, dragged into being an FBI informant on uh, Fred Hampton, who is uh, who was the head of the Black Panther chapter in Illinois, and kind of how it leads to his assassination. And... This one movie that I ended, I finished watching and I remember telling her how much I really liked, but how I feel like, and I know this also applies to Latin, which is kind of where I come from, but now I know we're three white guys talking about this movie, of, of how sometimes I feel like these movies that end up being nominated are all so much about the life that these minorities go through. And I really hope we get soon to that point where minorities can make movies that are not about being minorities mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things that is just embedded in our daily life and we go through it in different ways i'm white passing so i don't go through that as much but for this is one of those things it's an amazing story daniel kaluuya and lakit Stanfield are amazing and it's just one of those things where we hopefully have a diversity episode soon carl but you know sometimes there is a backlash i really was explaining to me in books of how you know, there was the the vampire, you know, YA stories five years ago, let's say. Mm-hmm. And everyone is writing them. And then last year, there were there was kind of another mini peak of African-American related vampire stories. And there was this backlash of like, that already happened. You can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And then these people were like, no, because we didn't get to go through that. And now it's our turn to go through that process, you know. And sometimes with these movies, again, I feel like, it's great that we see them. It's great that they're recognized. But if we continue only recognizing the movies about being minorities, I, I don't know how we get to their place. You know, yeah. we've seen a couple of things that try to get there. But it's the same with like, um, we've talked about disabilities and for actors or things like this. Um, but I guess it's just one of those things with art where 
suddenly you, you look for unique stories. I don't know. I'm developing my thoughts as I go. I would I would also love it if um, a, an animated film could have a black lead character that doesn't have to turn into an animal for the majority of the movie. That would also be a nice change, too. <laughs> Shots early fire is going to take a while until we get to the animated category. Um, just maybe um, last word on Judas and Black Messiah. Just as a movie, I enjoy biopics that are not cradle to the grave biopics. It's just a couple years yeah. of Fred Hampton and William O'Neill's mm-hmm. life. Uh, I think Fred Hampton is a fascinating character, and I would have liked a bigger, you know, story. It is very much William O'Neill's story in this very mm-hmm. short time, and there is maybe a bit too much of just the FBI meeting with him, and I would have liked to stay yeah. more with Fred Hampton. So yeah, I, I I'd really, I'd really like a kind of Black Panther non-Marvel, uh, Black Panther movement mm-hmm. uh, uh, movie in the future. I I enjoyed it tremendously. It's the best thing I've seen this year, twenty twenty one. Segue to another movie that also f- quickly features Fred Hampton, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. What did you guys think? I'm. I'm going to let Carl talk nicely about it because all I'm going to say is like, this is the only one movie from this list and I haven't watched everything yet that I saw and I liked, but I was like, hey, it was a nice movie for a Saturday. It wasn't special. Yeah. You can see that it's circling right away. And this, that's just me. This is my most eh of the ones here. It's sight unseen on three of them. Unfortunately, it is my most eh as well. Sorkin... I mean, Sorkin's Sorkin. You're watching Sorkin because you want to watch a Sorkin thing. That's a very Sorkin line almost. But it's... I don't like him as a director. I think he is pretty uninteresting in in how he, you know, composes his films visually. And I don't think he necessarily gets consistent performances out of his actors either. A lot of times they kind of don't mix on screen he had that problem with molly's game he had that problem here with a a few of the characters which could be a choice in how he's written the characters and he's trying to pose pose them as more extreme characters on different fringes of the different groups they represent but but overall yeah i i found it to be kind of a, a toothless object as far as something trying to deal with trying to be a very present and prescient movie about uh protesting and and political movements and overall i became less and less invested in the the trial itself and it felt more like a paint by numbers let's recreate scenes here that you haven't seen before thing than necessarily something where i got some emotional or like intellectual benefit out of it yeah i i have to say i kind of like this movie um it's probably my least favorite in the list but um, the the big I am a big I've read a lot about this trial. Um, mm-hmm. It was a bit jarring to see the ages of the actors, like mm. Sasha Baron Cohen playing Ab- Abby Hoffman was like twenty one <laughs> during yeah. the trial, and uh, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen is in his forties. Um, again, I think Yaya Abdul Mateen is just an actor to watch. Like yeah, he is. He's, he's incredible on it. He's the best. 
uh, part, except for uh, a lot of people saying Mark Ryland's wig in this movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, however, and this goes a bit on the the stuff that is not mentioned in this list, there has been another movie this year about uh, a trial on civil, uh, like civil disobedience and inciting a riot. Yeah. And it's Mangrove from the small act series that um, Steve McQueen did for Amazon. It's a feature length movie. It is very similar to this movie and it is better than this. Very movie. similar. <laughs> um, wonderful performances as well. If you don't know, small acts, five movies that Steve McQueen uh, made about the Caribbean population in South London. And, uh, yeah, Mangrove is the only feature-length one. Uh, my favorite one of the series is Lover's Rock, which right. unfortunately wouldn't even have uh, qualified for the short film category because it is in that weird between a feature and an Academy <laughs> short time. But um, if I can recommend something you go watch after this pod, fire up your Amazon <laughs> Prime and, and watch at least Mangrove and Lover's Rock, which is... Um, Remarkable. I, I love Steve McQueen's work and I don't understand why they didn't submit this episode as a, yeah. as a feature. The, the, the silly games scene in Lover's Rock is spectacular and oh my, my favorite single thing I've seen this year. Cool. So I, I mean, just because he wrote a screenplay for him once, I do connect Sorkin with Fincher. I think his visual style also <laughs> kind of apes Fincher a lot in how he presents at least geography. So let's talk about Mink, which is, to me, one of the weirder objects on this list because it's a... It, it's got a lot of strange things going on for it. It's got the, the requisite Gary Oldman performance that everyone's losing their minds over for some reason uh it has david fincher who has been nominated a few times for director um never picture has he been nominated for best picture fincher i this yeah social network. social network social network yes thank you obviously i just mentioned that um <laughs> he, he's been nominated before he's never won uh he makes his genre films, I think, are typically right outside of what the Academy typically wants to recognize, especially something like Gone Girl, which is very akin to A Promising Young Woman, which we'll get to. Um, it's a very personal film from him and one that's more in a historical biopic. It's written uh, partially by his father. It is a period piece, which is unusual for him and uses a lot of period, like faking period techniques, even though it was all made digitally. Uh, overall, I, the, the film for me doesn't quite work because I'm very much not invested in the whole writing of Citizen Kane arc within the film. I, there's a lot of work done in, uh, about Upton, Upton Sinclair's gubernatorial race, as well as the Hearst family's manipulation of the news into causing Sinclair to lose that race. I think that's a fantastic live wire segment of the film. And I think some of the most exciting work Fincher's done as a filmmaker in probably the last decade, but overall all the, the framing stuff of Gary Oldman being drunk in his bed, writing citizen Kane, I really just found to be a terrific bore. Hmm. Um, I want to play also again in the middle before passing it to Kevin, because this is one that I haven't watched and 
I don't know why it felt. I don't know if this is how people that come into Marvel feel like, but I felt like I had homework I needed to do before mm-hmm. to, and watch Citizen Kane, and I I never got to it, and then it felt like a like it had a <laughs> a high barrier to entry, even though maybe it didn't. So from everything that I've heard, it hasn't gotten me over the bump to actually watch it. So maybe further listeners aren't as uh, you know uh, pulled by the cinematography side well not cinematography like yeah. the academic cinema type of pool from Mank uh, maybe that's kind of where I am I, I think in this case that is true if this was like for more popular awards and absolutely I feel like it does feel like homework for a lot of people but I think most voting members of the Academy have probably seen Citizen Kane at some point and have like a familiarity that I don't think it hurts its award chances but I definitely think it hurts its like popularity as you know, something Netflix can sell subscriptions based off of. Well, I, I want to... We should mention, Mank has the most nominations in this race. Yes. By far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has 10 nominations. I'm going to zag here. I really, really loved Mank. Um, I, I don't understand why people don't like it, but I live with a person who gave this movie 20 minutes and went to bed. So <laughs> I, I understand that it, it doesn't have the, the audience. Um it it shows me maybe again the uh, value of notes from a studio that knows how to make movies. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the second year in a row where we have a very personal project for a filmmaker that has a deal with Netflix where it's, the critique is that it is too bloated. This happened with The Irishman last year and it happens with Mank here. The movie is too long and it doesn't grab you for the whatever two hours plus that it is um i thought it was an electric performance by amanda Seyfried. i think joss dance yes. is incredible in this movie yes um the movie looks bleached throughout as if you're watching a really early um 20th century movie like I felt like I had to wear sunglasses almost at times <laughs> watching it in a dark room. I thought it was an extraordinary movie. Um, and I think it will garner a lot of awards in the technical categories and it will not get recognized in any of the important categories. I'm in agreement with you there. I cannot d- debate the technical merits of this. Um, I think there's too much going on in the directing category for Fincher to pull it out. But I think he has he stands a better chance of winning a trophy for that than Mank does for Best Picture. Oh yeah, no question. I He's think gonna win the... a lot of technical categories because there are no Mexican directors this year. In a pre twenty, <laughs> you know, we take director, we take cinematography, we take sorry. In in a pre twenty sixteen world, this movie wins this category. I agree. It's, it's a movie about Hollywood and about the magic of movie making. Um, this would be a front runner any other year before we diversify the Academy. <laughs> I absolutely agree with you there. And yeah, I, yeah. Let's move on. Uh, Minari. Let's talk about Minari, which was, which takes place. Uh, in the part of the country I'm in right now, in Oklahoma, which is is interesting. 
I don't believe it was... I, looking into it, it wasn't shot necessarily here, but it's a, a local Midwestern heartland story. I really love Minari as just kind of a simple film as to as like doing what it's doing. It's just a simple story about a family trying to make their way through the American dream on a farm. And like it's the most primal American story, and it was not el- eligible for Best Picture at the Globes. I really, I really liked Minari. I'm a big fan of Minari. We'll talk about the um, predictions in a second, but I, I might be the only one who wants and thinks this might win. Uh, yeah, going in, I thought it was going to be like, you know, the typical movie about the hardships of a family moving in. And it, it kind of is, but it is deeply personal. Like, it's incredible to see them worry about getting water for the farm for like an hour. And be invested in it and it feels like the characters are like i could understand and empathize with each of them with all of them all the way from this i don't know six-year-old kid to the grandma that gets flown in from south korea to help um i don't know the, the movie finished and and my my feeling was this is why why i like about movies I like the diversity of it. I like learning about something that I didn't know, both from uh, the South Korean family, but also about agriculture in Oklahoma. And I don't know. It felt like a very personal story. Here is a six months in the life of a family. Come join us. I really liked it. Again, phenomenal acting performances all around. Um, What I think is... This movie is able to be here because of Moonlight. If you go back since the Moonlight win, we have these intimate family dramas every year. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2017, we have um, Call Me By Your Name. In uh, 2018, we have Roma. In, uh, and last year, we have it was nominated, but I think it should have been nominated. We have The Farewell. Um, Mm-hmm. These kind of intimate, mm-hmm. often um, immigrant families or families ab- abroad of um, these intimate like looks at family. I, I think it's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. I I loved watching it. the The win for Lee Isaac uh, Chung for for screenplay at the Globes with the uh, <laughs> with his daughter. It just you see how much it means him to tell his to tell the story and you know if if this one's best picture i am happy yeah i'm i'm happy too and i think this is this is a good consensus pick for best picture if we're going for it because it is one that i think is generally well liked by everyone it might not have the as extreme of a of defenders or or people that are in love with it as some of these others but yeah i think it's a great film in a it's and it's a definitely a bright spot and kind of a, a rough year in general <laughs> absolutely yeah. next up is um nomadland um you're the only one that i'm the only about, one Kevin. i'm the only one who's <laughs> seen it um so i, I already it teased a little bit this goes into the into the wild category for me i um i like into the wild this is uh, beautiful uh, vistas of america um, 
It is a dynamite performance from Francis McDormand. And I don't know why it is this consensus favorite for this award. Um, I don't see actors voting for this movie. Yeah. We, we, we talked about it before that um, they don't vote for animated movies. Um, are they going to vote for a movie where most of the cast is not actors? Um, this is the trademark of Chloe Zhao until she's going to release her, her Marvel <laughs> opus uh, later this year. <laughs> or is it next year? I don't even remember. Um, I, this, seems, this seems inevitable. I checked the odds makers earlier today. This is um, minus 200, which means you would have to pay $200 mm. to win $100 uh, if you bet on Nomadland Best Picture. By comparison, the second, um, in second place, they have the trial uh, of the Chicago 7 at 8 to 1. What? Um, That's a choice. I mean, you could see anyway, you I could don't. see it as a consensus pick, but uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, but l- let's let's move on to a movie that uh, I think most of us or all of us have seen: "Promising Young Woman," and I think my favorite movie this season. I think it's of these nominees that I've seen. It's prob- it's my favorite as well. Uh, as you know, I saw it at Sundance, and I've been writing for this movie since then. Humble brag, and I just. Carrie Mulligan is just spectacular to watch. Like, from the second she appears in that trailer, it is a magnetic performance. Uh, I also cringe at the Joker comparisons, especially because it's uh, the we live in a society, my life's a comedy, blah, 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 bullshit, versus, like, a story of very righteous anger against a, a system and a... And, layers of bureaucracy that actually prevent justice for Carrie Mulligan and her friend. Uh, I think it's also a, like, shockingly... It's a shocking live wire of a, of a film in, like, the places it's willing to go in its plot and with its characters. Uh, yeah. Love this movie. It would be my pick for Best Picture if I was going to choose one of these, but I'm not. <laughs> I... I love Promising Your Woman. I wanted to watch it a year ago in Sundance. I couldn't. Then it got delayed 20,000 times. Most people have a problem with the last 10 minutes. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil it. I have a problem only with the last minute and a half. I have a problem with the last 10 seconds. Yeah. And without wanting to spoil it, they try to end it to my takeaway, and this is maybe why it landed wrong with me, is that they tried to close the movie showing that she won mm-hmm. and she didn't freaking win. Yeah. So, so I don't want to spoil it, but me, I think for me it was like, it was, I was going to love it all the way, all the way, all the way. And it literally ended. And listen, I love me. I love me. Uh, 1984, you know, you don't know what, how it's going to end until yeah. the last page, but I, I don't know. It landed, it landed wrong with me. I don't know if I was expecting a stronger message I don't know if I... I don't know. that Those last kind of minutes and a half where I was like, wait, this is going to happen? Just weird. I think a lot of the divisiveness about this movie comes from its trailer. It is a fantastic trailer, but it, it promises fantastic. a uh, revenge fantasy. Yeah. Uh, because in the trailer, you don't know 
how she so let's let's quickly give a, a quick synopsis without spoiling the the major plot point um yes. she plays a woman who gets drunk every night or seemingly gets drunk every night at a bar to wait for some guy to play a good guy but then take her home and wanting to take advantage of her she snaps out of her condition and kind of humiliates them surprises them but effectively like doesn't murder them this is not no kill bill dexter yeah or dexter, yeah, yeah or, right. or dexter exactly and if you are going to watch this movie expecting um kill bill you're going to be disappointed you don't see her committing any violence in this movie she breaks the taillight off a car once and that's the most violent she does the, she makes she has other people do the dirty work for her and even that is not physically violent mm -hmm. psychologically violent we can discuss um this movie has garnered a lot of controversy also because of a review i think it was a variety article yeah. that kind of described this performance as like bad drag and kind of said mm. basically implied carrie mulligan is not pretty enough to play this part which <laughs> um and what? she's great she's yeah i think she's really no. really great in this movie i think it's genius casting of casting all these good guy actors like yeah. uh richardson and bo burnham and um max greenfield max greenfield thank you i was like mr greenwood <laughs> yes <laughs> max greenfield. Um, as these really really douchebags who who, who really like normally ju are just like nice guys um i this is the movie that i'm gonna rewatch. you know like yeah. no man land is a really beautiful movie and i don't think i'm ever going to watch it again and even with a movie like minari which um i love the performances i don't know when i'll go back to it but i want to watch this movie again before the academy awards it has two needle drop moments with music in this film and if we had a oscar for soundtrack design because the problem uh, when we go through the category is that everything has to be original in the oscars um two scenes with two movies um i'm only going to talk about the one that doesn't spoil anything there is a um paris hilton stars are blind uh, moment in this mm -hmm. in this uh, in this movie and because this came out in a formative like time for my brain i knew all the words <laughs> to this i was singing this movie uh, song while watching the movie um i think it's an extraordinary movie it's the lowest uh, rated critically of of all of them but um it is the best thing I've seen um, in this cycle. Yeah, I think you got it all covered there. I'm. It's certainly the film I'm most intrigued by of the ones I've seen and the one I will revisit and think about a lot. Great. So we've kind of touched on every nominee here. I think we should quickly tour through some of the rest of the categories and talk about our predictions and kind of celebrate some of the nominees or, or even snubs there but first let's talk about our actual predictions here so my prediction as kevin has kind of alluded to no man land seems to be the consensus favorite here 
uh, I have this conspiracy theory that Disney really wants it, so they're telling everyone to do it and trying to schmooze in the best they can, which who knows how that is virtually. It's probably just completely made up. Uh, and then Promising Young Woman would probably be my actual pick if I was choosing from this list of nominees. Yeah, same for me. Yeah, for me, for a couple of reasons that we talked about, I think Minari is going to mm-hmm. take it. I think it wasn't recognized during the Globes. I think people really enjoyed it for this difficult year. And also we talked about how actors import, uh, vote. Import, it's so important. In terms of what I wanted to wish, I wish I wanted would win. I was right there with Promising Young Woman, but that end doesn't let me. So I also want Minari to win. Hey, I think that's a fair guess as well. I think that is maybe a dark horse here, especially since we don't know from the Globes. Yeah. Um, I want to quickly touch about like on a couple movies that are not here and kind of have a longer spiel about one of them. So Spike Lee's The Five Bloods is not here. Uh, a movie I really enjoyed. I rewatched it this weekend, actually. I think there's a really good movie in there somewhere. Um, it's too long. And... But there are two movies. <laughs> I guess. I <laughs> guess. Body comedy in the jungle and then kind of a survival in the jungle. But yeah. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, not here. Uh, Palm Springs either. Um, I think mm-hmm. we all enjoyed Palm Springs. Yep. Uh, but uh, we don't do comedy at the Oscars. <laughs> uh, we, we, I, like Small Axe is not eligible. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and One Night in Miami are on the outside looking in. Um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I have to say, for me, rightly so. I'm not a big fan of these August Wilson um plays being made into movies and mm-hmm. one night in miami is also a play um that was made into a movie so is the father right. by the way but um and so is hamilton <laughs> so is hamilton <laughs> uh i don't know if hamilton was eligible um, I, don't, I don't i'm not sure i never didn't look into it uh so they are looking and then u.s versus billy holiday is not here the mauritanian isn't in and uh I know, uh, Eitan, you really liked uh, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Um, maybe too early in the cycle, but or maybe too small a movie, but... Uh, I think I, way too small a movie, yeah. but yeah. You watched it? I did, yes. I, I really Kevin? liked it. Oh, yeah. what do you think? Um, I really your review, okay. I really loved where the movie started. Kind of, usually we had a movie where we have the decision about, like, are, am I going to get an abortion or whatnot here the decision is made and it shows that everything that comes after is equally if not more mm-hmm. uh, gruesome kind of the barriers that were put in in the character's way um i it's in my top 10 of last year i think the assistant in first cow also suffered similarly small beloved movies that were just too small both of those also came out pre-covid right at the like kind of barrier to to quarantine so i think they just didn't have a chance to be discussed here uh another round is is the rare best picture snub best director nominee here which we'll get to with thomas vinterberg we had it two years ago with uh, cold war already yeah yeah which that would have been my best picture pick that year two that's actually my best picture pick if i'm choosing from what i've seen so it's kind of funny that that's happened twice now um, but I think the big one we want to talk about here is Borat. Yeah, so I don't want to 
this is not me playing devil's advocate, but if you look at the list of Best Picture nominees here, almost all of these, maybe with the exception of The Father and Sound of Metal, they want to say something bigger about America, right? Um, mm-hmm. But not actually saying it. So Judas and the Black Messiah is about revolutionary black uh, movements and uh, the relationship of the black community with law enforcement and the civil rights movement. Mank has this whole fake news component in the movie mm-hmm. and the commercialization of Hollywood. Minari is the American dream, the immigrant experience. Uh, Nomadland, kind of the predatory nature of American capitalism. Promising Young Woman is about rape culture. And the trial of the Chicago 7, protest movements, uh, corrupt judicial system, racism. Bora just comes out and says how it is. Yeah. And it's kind of a mirror to society, a, a movie shot just before and during uh, COVID-19. It's not a four or five star movie, but it is a remarkable movie to have been made. And I think in, in the other races, in SAG and in the Golden Globes, uh, which we shouldn't take too seriously, but it was recognized and I was a bit surprised that it didn't garner a nomination i'm right there with you it's if we're talking about from a like technical or quality or craft perspective it's not the best movie of the year from like a bunch of objective or even like structured subjective measures but it is like a miracle that this film exists it's a miracle that it's not just him shouting my wife over over again that it's actually fresh and original and, and mines new territory that's completely different than the first film but also it just feels like it sums up kind of 2020 from a lot of different directions while being a pre-2020 film in its exploration of, of covid and its exploration of just the american populace that would almost re-elect donald trump and it's just yeah it's a remarkable film that's I think better than the sum of its parts and far more interesting than it has any right to be. Yeah. You still need to write your uh, why should Borat win? Now it needs to be titled yeah, like, to... have one. <laughs> but it still needs to exist. I wanted to give you the fodder, so uh Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm totally gonna write these thoughts down and like it's it's just it's just interesting. And there was this there's this Alex Ross Perry piece, the director um he wrote a piece a few years ago as to why Avengers Endgame should win Best Picture, which is kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it was really just like there's no greater like kind of franchise filmmaking achievement if we're going to recognize something as far as like getting people back into theaters and and really just elevating what this thing could be. And it's I think Borat 2 is definitely that too, where it's just like it is a shining example of what comedy can do as an art form. Yeah. Great. So let's quickly tour through the rest of the categories so let's do this popcorn style we can kind of just do a rhythm um of uh for each category who our prediction is who our winner in of the nominees would be and then if there's anybody you really want to shout out beyond that you can do it quickly too sound good sounds good perfect all right so let's start an actor in a leading role uh here I have Chadwick Boseman. It just the narrative around him and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom has just been a given since he died. Uh, well, that or the, the Five Bloods, and it's solidified around Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. 
I think it's just it it's the one race here that feels the most locked. I would love to see Riz Ahmed get uh get walk away with the trophy. I think he's fantastic in this film. I love him quite a bit as an actor. Steven Yeun's right up there for me too, but both of them I think are fantastic performances that will be unrecognized because of Chadwick. I'm right there with you. Didn't Chadwick win supporting in the gloves or did he win leading? No, he uh, leading. Leading. Hmm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, same. Uh, me too. Just the odds makers we talked about. This is the lock race. It's minus 800, which means you have to pay $800 to win $100. This is pretty wow. much sewn up. Uh, I also would like Riz Ahmed here. Um, this is a stack category. I think each one of these performances, uh, we haven't said Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman yet. Um, these are mm-hmm. also great performances, but I think this is Chadwick Boseman's um, race to lose, and I don't think he's going to. Um, I think it's always difficult to talk about a posthumous performance um, and kind of indicating that I'd rather have Riz Ahmed winning this is maybe an indication that it wasn't my absolute favorite performance this year, even though I enjoyed Moraine's Black Bottom quite a bit. Yeah, for, for actress in a leading role, uh, we all had Carrie Mulligan as the one we hoped he'd win. Kevin, I, we want you to defend why you think she's going to win. But I think, Carl, you and I, we had Andra Day for United States versus Billie Holiday. She won the Golden Gloves as probably the one that will, will take it. But Kevin, why do you think she can uh, spoil um, I think for the same reason, like, I don't want to go into this uh, conversation with the Joker again, but I think uh, similarly last year, the Joker was a divisive movie, a divisive genre movie, but everybody recognized the lead performance as being quite extraordinary. And I think the actors will see that as well. Whereas Andrew Day, um, I think was a long shot for the Globes before I think she's in this category um, because of the Globes win I don't think so I've watched this movie last week um, it's a good music doc it's again it's the worst version of law enforcement trying to get to an outspoken a black character of note um, I think Judas and Black Messiah is the better movie there mm-hmm. uh, but w- the academy also loves uh, a, a music a biopic and uh, mm-hmm. andre is, is really singing in this so <laughs> i think it's fair but i think i think carrie mulligan is pulling that out and just to give you a little bit of a heads up so do the odds maker i hope that's the case i love her she's time for her to win an oscar i'm the i was very unqualified to make a call here just i have only seen promising young woman out of these and didn't want to really like go with my hopes there but i'm you know what i'm gonna switch this for my ballot that we're going to next month i'm gonna put promising young woman here too you've convinced me but overall i think this is similar joker is an apt comparison here i think something like i care a lot is also a good comparison here too where it's characters and scripts that might not work or might completely fall apart at times but the performance is so strong and so compelling and so pitch perfect that it makes it work despite itself and i think promising a woman functions much better as a film than those two films do but i think carrie mulligan is the glue holding it all together 
Yeah, um, I just want to say two things about uh, the other people in this race. If you want to test how good your uh, lung capacity is and how long you can hold your breath, uh, guys, watch the first 20 minutes of Pieces of a Woman. I think mm -hmm. the, the movie falls a bit apart after that, but it is very similar for me, uh, like the... Um, uh, birthing suite scene in Roma uh, or the ER scene in Roma. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think I, I, I was able to take a real breath or actually the, like the first episode of the night off. Um, a really, really great performance by Vanessa Kirby. And um, if Frances McDormand wins this, which is conceivable, um, she will tie Audrey Hepburn as the only three-time winner in the act hmm. in the um, wow. lead category yeah i take that meryl streep yeah absolutely <laughs> so let's move on to supporting performances so after in a supporting role both of you are split on the two sorry i was gonna say the two leads of judas and the black messiah but the two uh, supporting leads of judas and the black messiah i'll let you guys get into that in a second uh, I'm going to go with Sacha Baron Cohen here just for the hell of it. I don't actually know if he'll win, but a lot of actors do like him. It is some He wasn't nominated for Borat in uh, directing or... Well, not directing. Uh, he wasn't nominated in as many categories as one would think, and he wasn't nominated for actor here. So I think that's an interesting thing, and he's interesting as Abby, Abby Hoffman. I really love Paul Racy in Sound of Music. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Sound his last metal, name. but close. Yes, thank you. <laughs> wow, that was a weird Freudian slip. Sound of metal. Christopher Plummer. <laughs> he is... I just love his warmth as a character. Uh, he's also the, the child of death adults, which, sorry, that's a, a different Sundance film for next year, but he is, I think, just really compelling in the movie, and I was happy to see him here. He's not going to win, but I, I loved him in the movie. Yeah, kind of what I have here, and we don't have to get into it again, but uh, Kevin mentioned how Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, Stanfield got both nominated for Judas and the Black Messiah, which makes no sense, because the definition of a supporting role is that you support something else. So one of them, by definition, would have to be a leading role. However, based on how the voting works, if you get nominated for two of these, you go into the one that you get the most votes on. And even though for the Globes, like Keith was nominated for leading actor, here he made in the supporting role. The other thing that I was reading that could have happened is that he still got more votes in leading than in supporting, but he was like sixth or seventh out of the, the five. So they just put it in this one, which I would be surprised because I really like him. And that's why I have him here. I think Daniel Kaluuya, it's amazing. I think he's great, but when I finished watching that movie, I stayed with the emotion from mm -hmm. Lakeith. Like, he's... The way he breaks down with the FBI agent um, in one of the last scenes is kind of what was my takeaway. And uh, it's, not a, it's not a knock on Daniel Kaluuya. I just... For me, he is what I remember most of the movie, so that's kind of why I have him here. In the perfect world, they would both win. Like, Kaluuya would take supporting and maybe Lakeith wouldn't win leading. But out of those two, for me, Lakeith was higher. Um, I don't disagree that Lakeith is incredible in this movie. I think he is only in this category because 
there wasn't space for him in the other one. Um, I don't know if it's the most votes or where you meet that golden number the quickest. Like mm. in, in, a, in the least amount of rounds. I, I'm not sure there. Um, I think Daniel Kaluuya is unimpeachable here. Like, he, he, I'm worried on, on, on vote splitting here where people like the movie and uh, vote on both. And then maybe it is Sasha Baron Cohen or Paul Racy or Leslie Odom Jr., um, then not Kaluuya. for Aaron Born in Hamilton, but for One Night in Miami. <laughs> I should point that yes, out. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I should have clarified. <laughs> uh, anything is possible these days. Um, Daniel Kaluuya is from South London, and this is a perfect, perfect Chicago accent he's pulling off in this movie. <laughs> I can't. You can't take uh, your eyes off me. These guys are, of course, uh, were together in Get Out, um, and. Uh, one of the best films of the last decade. Uh, I'm happy with either of them winning. I think Kaluuya has this. I The vote split possibilities, what drove me not to choose one of them. I They are two of the most exciting actors working today. I love Kaluuya especially. Uh, Get Out, obviously, is amazing. He's, his performance in Widows is one of my favorite supporting performances of the last few years. He's so scary in that. And yeah, I would, I would love for him to have an Oscar. He should already have at least two, but in my book, <laughs> like Keith has a string of amazing performance. My favorite is Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He's oh, he's, really, he's so really good. Incredible. At that. that is TV I've made time for because he is amazing. <laughs> in that. I know, I know. I'm just saying. Yeah, you know, we're talking about their careers. Okay, so moving on to actress in a supporting role. We are all in agreement here on Maria Bakalova probably walking away with the trophy, as well as being a, a pick that we all agree on. Um, this hurt for me because I really love Amanda Seyfried and Mank. She is a, a performance that makes the sections she's in in Mank really work for me. Uh, I would love to hear other thoughts around the, the other performance here, too. So... Um... I said that I think Maria Bakalova is going to win, but I wouldn't be surprised if Glenn Close wins this as a, you know, we should have given it to you 20 years ago. Um, this is a horrible movie. Uh, I have not I, watched it. I <laughs> Will not did, watch it. I did not enjoy the book, and I especially did not enjoy uh, the movie. I was afraid that Amy Adams is going to be in the in the leading category um we were spared maria bakalova can you guys think of a better comedic performance by an actress since i don't know melissa mccarthy in bridesmaids or is i think this she's so courageous in this movie i i I think it's an (laughs) unbelievable performance like you have to have such balls to be sasha baron cohen that he finds somebody who's, um, whatever, 15 years younger than him, and is fearless, and uh, basically gave us the month of Rudy Giuliani, which maybe that should be best picture. Um, (laughs) um, Shouts to Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Except for Glenn Close, I won. I, I'm okay with anybody winning here, though. Uh, Young Jun Yoon uh, in Minari, she's playing the grandmother. 
really, really enjoyed her performance. And uh, I don't know. I like Olivia Coleman, so I haven't seen her yet. Yeah, I like her too. Yeah, Bakalova, one of those performances where it's like a new unknown performer, but unlike the Roma nomination, it she doesn't feel like a new unknown performer. She doesn't feel like someone giving this naturalistic thing. It's fully baked and so cool. Yeah, 100%. Um, on directing, I kind of wished we would have gotten the three women directors that we got for from uh, the Golden Globes, but got, we got two. We got Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Emerald Fennell for Promising New Woman. Um, also there, just quickly for the what we think, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, David Fincher for Monk, and Thomas Winterberg for Another Round, which was nice to see from uh, the Danish movie. Uh, in terms of what we think, uh, Kevin, you and I believe Troy Zhao from Nomadland will win and it sounds like I haven't watched it but that's the one you want to win and then Carl, uh, you really like another round you're going with uh, Thomas Vinterberg Well, I'm, I'm going with Vinterberg as the one I would pick I'm on board right. here with Nomadland being the, the favorite I think I've, I've seen the writer love the writer I'm I'm okay with there being splits between director and picture. I think that's kind of weird when that happens. But I think here, if you don't honor the directing as being the best directing of the year, I don't know how the hell you give it best picture if it's such a naturalistic film, like Kevin said, that's built around uh, non-traditional performances, a lot of like sweeping landscapes and everything. I think those are kind of indelibly tied this year. Chloe Zhao could win personally for awards because she's a producer on the movie. She can win the statue for best picture uh, she has the directing she has the adapted screenplay and she's also the editor on the movie so uh, she could she could get the foursome i don't think she will um for this category i prepared a little trivia game for you though and uh, i'll i'll go really quick so david fincher is not going to win this year i don't think so i have a list of influential filmmakers that I'm going to read to you. And you guys are going to tell me cumulatively how many Oscars for directing they won. Ready? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. David Fincher, Quentin Tarantino, Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, Spike Lee, Sofia Coppola, Spike Jones, Jason Reitman, Christopher Nolan, Sam Mendes, Adam McKay, Barry Jenkins, Noah Baumbach, Richard Linklater, Steve McQueen, Alexander Payne, and Darren Aronofsky. So is is Mendes the only one, or does he not even have one for American Beauty? I need a number. Well, how many? I'm going with one here. <laughs> I'm going two. It's zero. I thought it was zero. Oh. <sighs> so I I, 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 looked, I looked through this list like um with chloe zhao being a millennial filmmaker i wanted mm -hmm. to see you know we have the boomer filmmakers you know uh coppola and spielberg and um a bunch of other guys i wanted to is there a <laughs> is there a gen x filmmaker that has won a directing award and so i i looked at so Steven Soderbergh and the Coen brothers each have one, but they're late boomers. Yeah. So they don't count. 
So I found three Gen X filmmakers that have one. Do you guys know the three Gen X filmmakers that have what? one? What's Gen X? How 1965 Gen X? to 1980. Wow. Okay. Oh. I'm going to give you a clue. Wait. There is no okay. American-born Gen X filmmaker that has the directing. Award. Yeah, I was going to say, I think... The thing is, yeah, I was, the, the interesting part of who beat all of this... <laughs> I love my Mexican directors. They've won six between the three of them. They're and all Cuaron might boomers. be the youngest. Ah, yeah. oh, damn it. I thought Cuaron might be the yeah. other one. That was I was going to say, youngest. is Catherine Bigelow a late burner as well? Catherine Bigelow is 70 years old. I was I looked her up as well. I think she's turning seventy this year, so she doesn't Catherine, qualify. She's turning seventy? No way. Yeah. Oh my god, she's turning seventy. Whoa, she has aged incredibly well. Okay. <laughs> oh, I think I have one. Um Oh, ah, what's his name? Ask his name. Wait. What's his name? What's his name? Oh, Diamond Chassel. So I I also thought Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle is a millennial. No, is he was born 1983, I believe. Um, Greta Gerwig always obviously doesn't have one, but she's also a millennial. So Chloe Zhao, she might be the second millennial to win. So the three that have one is Tom Hooper for uh, the King's Speech. <laughs> the King's Speech. Michel Hazanavicius for the artist, mm -hmm. and Bong Joon Ho. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. So that's kind of weird, right? Like that's kind of like not only are these like late boomers and and uh, American late boomers and then like Gen Xers, they kind of they make the cinema that cinephiles go to see, but they they were not acclaimed. They're the the lost generation that they are in society. They are also to the academy, and so I think it's younger. That's so funny. It's younger filmmakers that are going to carry the torch forward. So Thomas Vinterberg would be a Gen X um, winner, but I don't think he's going to win. Um, Emerald Fennell is also a millennial. So yeah. it's also the the other side of that coin is what you said. It's the non-American filmmakers because the last eleven years is Bong Joon Ho, Cuaron, Guillermo del Toro, Damien Chazelle, Iñárritu, Iñárritu, Cuaron, Ang Lee, Michael Gassanavicius, Tom Hooper, Catherine Bigelow, and Danny Boyle. Yeah. Those are the last 12. What does what? One American? Uh, Catherine Bigelow, for sure. Right. Damien. And Damien. And. That's is that it? it? Danny Boyle is British. Yep. I, yeah. I don't know where Michael ha ha ah, Hassan Vicious is from, but. I think he's Polish French. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That I, I went down a rabbit hole. Um, yeah, that's and a, looked up some birthdays. That's really good context. It's uh, crazy. I, I mean, some of these people have Oscars, just not for directing, but yeah. uh, also not that many. Well, it's like the whole Stanley Kubrick won an Oscar for special effects as a special award. Like he, like <laughs> I mean, he's never yeah, I mean, won a competitive Oscar. For, like for Tarantino that, for has one or two, and uh, two I think Spike Lee has one, but not for directing. Um, that's kind of it. Yeah. Well, and a lot of these that's these fun. filmmakers also win them in screenplay categories as well. So I want to yeah. jump to that. 
Uh, we had cinematography here, but let's circle back to that one. So screenplay traditionally is where a lot of the genre films or stranger films get awarded where they might not be a best picture consensus. So for adapted screenplay, I think all of us are on the same page about really wanting Borat to be represented here because it's rep not represented in best picture. Uh, it's also my prediction for screenplay. Same, same for me. Um, I think Nomadland's going to sweep. So I think Nomadland has it here. The surprise here is The White Tiger, which is a, a very successful book. Uh, it's on my bookshelf. It's a three-hour movie on Netflix, um, Indian production. Uh, uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas was very excited uh, when it got nominated. Uh, I hear good things. It's a long uh, Bollywood um, mob movie. Uh, I don't think it's going to win anything, but it's it's nice to have the uh, the kooky pick here in adapted screenplay. Yeah, and uh, Ram Ram Ramin Barani has been kind of a critical favorite on and off uh, for Chop Shop and some of his other work as well. So interesting to see him, one of his films, get thrown in here. Uh, let's do original screenplay. Uh, we're all on board about Promising Young Woman being the real interesting live wire one here. My guess is Minari. That's kind of where I think it'll get honored, since I'm not predicting that it's going to win Best Picture. Yeah, for me, Promising Young Woman comes from a place of like, it was the, it's not only screenplay, but it's like story. You know how people get different credits, like in animation, the screenplay and the story is different. Like the story structure I really enjoyed. And the other award that doesn't exist that would definitely go for Promising Young Woman that we've talked about is uh, casting. So that's I'm putting all of that into screenplay for Promising Young Woman. I think that Trial of the Chicago 7 is going to win because uh, Sorkin and people love him, even though I don't think he should. And I also think Trial of the Chicago 7 is going to win. I think this is Sorkin's consolation prize for not being uh, nominated in directing. And yeah, I, I hope it's Promising Young Woman. I think it's the best script uh, in both categories. Yeah. After that one, one close to my heart, um, animated feature film. It's a weird year when no Disney animated movie came out because they pushed Raya to this year. But there are two Pixars, Onwards and Soul. We have Over the Moon, which we enjoyed from Glenn Keane. Uh, you should watch it on Netflix. It's fun. Shauna of the Ship movie, Farmageddon. And then one of my favorite movies from the year, which I have as it should win and I have as it's going to win because I'm going to make it happen. It's Wolf Walkers. Uh, I really wish they can uh, wash the bad taste from my mouth from watching Soul win the Golden Globe. But what do you guys think? Uh, I mean, I would love for Wolfwalkers to win, but I think it's still Soul's gain. It's Every indication is towards Soul. I think the score win also helps propel it forward because, I mean, Reznor and Ross continually get, getting pushed for score for that despite competing against themselves and potentially splitting the vote. I think there's just too much Soul love or like default Pixar status here for it not to win this year. Yeah, I agree. In this category, often the best animated film does not win. I'm thinking of uh, Loving Vincent, Kubo and the Two Strings. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. My Love is a Zucchini. 
Yeah. Shout out Switzerland. Um, mm-hmm. Soul was fine. Yeah. It's not in my top five Pixar movies. Um, and <laughs> that's, that's, <just> that <laughs> that's where I'm, <laughs> that's where I'm going to to leave it. Um, I also um, I also think the Mank score is better, but I'm going to be happy when they w- uh, that, uh, John Batiste is going to win. I think he's a genius, so I'm happy with that. So Soul for me. From a score perspective, I think it's between the two Reznor Ross ones. I think Soul will win. Batiste gets an Oscar there. That's great. I also like the Mank score better. Next one we have, I think it's international uh, feature film. I haven't watched um, any of these, unfortunately. I was rooting for Mexico... Um, I'm no longer here. Didn't make the cut. Uh, but you guys both have watched another round and you really like it. So, Yeah, I, I love another round. It's the only one here I've seen. But I think it's also the only one with a lot of name recognition, which unfortunately becomes the name of the game with some of these categories with a, vod, a broad voting body that doesn't watch all of them. Um, that is absolutely true. Uh, I was also surprised the Mexican uh, movie didn't make it. And there was a really good Guatemalan movie that I thought was a shoe-in mm-hmm. here, um, La Llorona, a horror movie, but it's mm-hmm. a genre movie. It's always going to be tough in the Academy. I just want to give a little trivia bit from here. The Hong Kong submission, Better Days, is the movie that made the most money out of any movie this year. More money than onwards. So it made like 220 millions at the box office and is by far... <laughs> Therefore, the uh, the movie that most people in the world have seen, um, I'm probably followed forward. by like Sonic and the Hedgehog. Or Sonic the Hedgehog I'm or I'm looking forward to. <laughs> that's right. I I'm looking forward to to getting to that. Collective is really good. I have seen that one as a Romanian documentary. Uh, I may talk about uh, about it a bit later. The man who sold his skin is a really interesting Tunisian movie. Um, on the one hand, it's a refugee story. On the other hand, it's a critique of modern art, not unlike uh, Ruben Östlund's The Square a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It's about a couple f- uh, fleeing the Syrian civil war, the woman um, going to Europe trying to find a husband for visa purposes, her husband trying to follow. And as an art piece, he lets a tattoo artist um, tattoo a Schengen visa on his back and it becomes kind of a living art sculpture. Um, I'm desperately trying to get a link to see this movie. I'm really excited about this. And Kovaris Aida is a Bosnia and Herzegovina's uh, submission about a refugee camp at the time of the Srebrenica uh, massacre in 1995. Um Growing up in Switzerland, we learned a lot about the Srebrenica massacre. We had a lot of people coming over uh, to Switzerland after that. Uh, a bunch of good movies that I can recommend, uh, maybe in the show notes, about that. <laughs> I haven't seen this yet, but I think another round about these five um, or four um, middle school, high school teachers uh, wanting to be functional alcoholics. We'll take it here. Mads Mikkelsen is absolutely um, incredible. I would have liked to see him um, maybe in in the acting category. But alas, uh, I think this is a lock. Yeah, I agree. So 
I want to collapse a few of the technicals, not because I don't like the technical branches. In fact, I love the technical categories. <laughs> wait, but... wait, 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 wait. I know documentaries don't get any love on this yes, show. Let's, let's take us through documentaries real quick. Carl. I'm just... <laughs> I have to rep because I do want to say I do want to see Collective. I, I've heard excellent things about it, and it seems fascinating. Uh, collective, uh, it's not going to win, I don't think, but it is a really, really impactful um, documentary. If I had to measure the impact of it, I would compare it to Icarus, that won a couple of years ago, Netflix's first kind of big win on the doping scandal at the Sochi mm-hmm. Olympics. Collective is about a nightclub fire in Romania in a club called Collective, where um, over 30 people died in the fire, but then later a bunch more people died in the hospital. And this team of journalism, uh, journalists uncovered this like substandard public health care and corruption in the hospital system that had these people die. It led to the collapse of the Romanian government. Um, this movie captures it all. Um, go seek this out. Uh, Crip Camp, uh, I, for the longest time I thought this was the consensus winner. It's a higher ground production by the Obamas on this summer camp that kind of spurred the civil rights for um, disabled um, people. Like It started that movement. It's, it's a really beautiful little documentary. Uh, the Mole Agent is, I haven't seen it, is I think a Uruguayan film. Um, about an old man uh, going undercover in a old folks home to discover like abuse and corruption. My Octopus Teacher. Have you guys seen My Octopus Teacher on Netflix? It had like a moment during quarantine. No, I have. I have it on the list. You have it on the list. So I probably have five to ten documentaries that I would have slotted in before My Octopus Teacher, but it is a remarkable achievement um this guy kind of learning about loss and love from this octopus and always diving and like finding this octopus again it's 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 a beautiful little movie but whatever i think time is going to win is a new york times production uh, it's about a woman uh documenting her struggle trying to free her husband from jail um uh, i haven't seen it yet I thought it's not available anywhere, but it is very available. It's on Amazon Prime. So I'm going to watch it probably this week. Very cool. Thank you for shoring up our ignorance around <laughs> the documentary category. Yeah, I, I do actually want to check some of the, the features out this year. I think documentary is an area that had a lot of interesting... I, I think the documentary category was less derailed by COVID because the distribution on those is so wacky and streaming-based these days anyway that I think they had a, a really good year compared to the, the rest of uh, the, the features world. Yeah, I'm going to so, throw out, uh, sorry, I'm going to throw out a couple more recommendations just because I know we'll never talk about it again on, on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> very surprised Boys State uh, didn't mm-hmm. make it. It's an Apple mm-hmm. production. If you have, uh, if you recently bought a phone or a computer, you have a year uh, free uh, Apple TV Plus. Uh, it's one of the best things on there. Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much. Uh, on Netflix, Dick Johnson is dead. I thought it was a, yeah. a shoe-in. It's the last couple months of a father with his children um, documenting like mm-hmm. the end of his life and kind of. A lot it. of Sundance here. Yeah. Crip Cramp, uh, Boy State, Dick Johnson is dead. Totally under control. 
um, the COVID documentary where um, kind of scientists kind of openly, despite not being able to be vocal about it under the last U.S. administration, talking to camera about when they knew and how they knew and how maybe the administration didn't do the best job uh, dealing with the pandemic. <laughs> it's on Amazon maybe. Prime. And two other Netflix documentaries, uh, Social Dilemma, uh, mm -hmm. about social mm -hmm. media, and Disclosure, about um, trans people in the movie and television industry. I think it's a Laverne Cox produced. Mm. Um, yeah, that's it. Sorry. Go. Technical categories. Yeah. No, I mean, thank you for, for sharing those. And uh, yeah. A lot of those, thankfully, are a lot more available these days than they ever have been because streaming services have been picking them up. Uh, Duke Johnson is dead. I've been meaning to check it out. Camera Person, her previous documentary, is really interesting, for sure. Uh, so technicals, it, we're, we're kind of, I think, all aligned around Mink winning a lot of the, the, the design technicals, so makeup, hairstyling, costume design, production design. There's some quibbles here and there, but uh, I think overall, like Mink really is just a technical achievement and it will be honored as such especially from the industry insiders there uh the one technical we're all in agreement on beyond that which doesn't i mean fincher films always have a ton of visual effects but it's not nominated here uh is tenet which i think above all that's the undeniable thing about tenet is it's still impossible to figure out how most of that film was shot practically like i cannot figure out how there's so little cgi in that Dunkirk has less CD, has more CGI than Tenet does. Insanity. I haven't watched Tenet yet. I'm waiting for it to hit HBO Max. Um, yeah, I think uh, behind the scenes, uh, Carl and I have been voicing our dismay about Tenet. Uh, it's one of the <laughs> um, stranger experiences of last year in a year full of uh, strange experiences. <laughs> I have seen. Uh, I saw this in a drive-in. Um, uh, Miriam, my partner, put down her chair at some point and went to sleep. We saw it at night and uh, <laughs> said, "Wake me when this is over." I don't understand. Um, funny enough, it's probably the movie I've thought about the most after mm. seeing it. Not that it made it any better, but um, with Nolan movies, you're trying to crack the philosophy behind it i think and we went on a long bike ride the next day and the only thing i was thinking about was do i really understand what he's trying to say here uh, for two hours so yeah i guess so uh, i think where we're all in agreement on cinematography as well um yes. for Mank. it's a, it's a loaded category all masters of their craft uh, like real workhorse cinematographers but uh, yeah, I think Mank is gonna, it's gonna take it there. I was just gonna say before before closing. I think the only thing I want to highlight also is that in best song, we all hope Husabik wins. I think we were all so surprised <laughs> that we made it. I'm so happy. That was I great. Too. That was I... a great surprise of the nomination. <laughs> so this is my big uh, like quibble with this category. Often the original song plays during the credits and doesn't move the plot yeah. of the movie mm -hmm. except if it's a um an animated movie yeah an animated yeah 
or except as if it's uh, like a music movie like this, but often mm-hmm. then it's not an original song, um, which means it's not eligible for the category. Like we all think that Leslie Odom Jr. is probably going to win this. He plays Sam Cooke in One Night in Miami. This is not a Sam Cooke song. This is a song that they wrote for the movie. The, the, the same. He's very good at, he's pretty good at singing Sam Cooke, but Andre Day is very, uh, very good as Billie Holiday and singing like Billie Holiday, but the song is not a Billie Holiday song. Um, I don't even know if it's nominated. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say was, um, you guys are the, the big um, Disney proponents um, on this part. <laughs> I just want to quickly talk about, you always say Netflix, no legacy, whatever. We have a, a bigger discussion there about that I think... Netflix is basically what cable used to be, and I think Disney Plus is the thing that people are going to pirate in the future and maybe not pay for. But mm-hmm. there has been a kind of legacy building in this prestigious space. So 2017 with 13th and White Helmets, and then Icarus in 2018, and then Roma and Ballads, uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs in 2019, and then last year, The Irishman. Marriage Story, Uncut Gems, The Two Popes, Klaus, and American Factory. And this year, Mank, Trial of the Chicago 7, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Pieces of a Woman, Crip Camp, My Octopus Teacher, The White Tiger, and I Care a Lot. They are funding, you know, prestigious projects. And I don't know if that's why people buy subscriptions. And I don't know if it pays off for them in that respect but I respect that they spent the money there as well I think that's a salient point and that, that is true and I, I think my argument there is that while they are funding these visions and they're funding I mean it seems like Fincher is just gonna just keep working with Netflix until they just don't exist because he's had such a good experience with them and but I think that all of the films you mentioned from major established directors are kind of weirder curios in their larger filmographies. Buster Scruggs, Roma, Okja was a Netflix original, I believe, as well. Yeah. Mank. All of these are films that are, I think, kind of the most film from their director <laughs> in kind of their tone and what they want to say and, and what they're doing. And I think that that certainly speaks to their willingness to fund interesting vision and fund weird stuff. But I think also it speaks to something you said earlier about them, like not editorializing and kind of shaping them into more broader populist, maybe longer lasting things. But at the same time, I think a lot of all of those films have a lot of very personal and specific things to say. Yeah, I think my take is, again, I don't disagree with anything. You're just spewing facts, Kev, but... (laughs) The, for me, my my biggest thing about Netflix is not that they're not doing anything interesting. It's not that they're mm-hmm. not going to be a successful business. You know, it's not that they're not going to have millions of hundreds of subscribers and exist thirty years from now. It's that. Is that the way their business works right now? It's unsustainable, and the level of investment that they have to do these types of stuff, I don't think is sustainable. If they want to become a profitable business, they have to slow down. And my biggest question is what happens then? Because all of these movies are great, but I don't know that people are in Netflix to watch these movies. 
whether and that is always a trade-off right netflix is you could say it's making more art or more important things for humanity than disney is right or than hbo max is but when you think of how to do it and in a sustainable way, whatever that means for them to continue to exist. That's kind of where I think the disconnect is. I think they are... I just don't see how they turn that key. Kind of how the world looks once they get there. I think they play they play very well for these niches, right? They have amazing stuff that are gonna, they're probably going to be the studio that is going to get the most nominations going forward. Or they play the reality very good and they play the YA very good and they find all of these pocket niches where they can invest and always have something new and even though they are reaching that critical mass where they hopefully can maintain it that has to go down and with more competition coming up they are not going to disappear it's still the service people are least likely to cancel but I just don't see them as you know the darling when I combine everything into the same pot. When I combine art, when I combine awards, when I combine business mm -hmm. model, when I combine, right? We, uh, Carl and I have talked about diversity of their income streams. I think it's kind of that pot where I kind of lose it. But I don't think that takes away from from this, right? And from I think it's great that these filmmakers get the money that they need to do stuff that they couldn't do. Um, and that's a very convoluted way to say. Uh, both can be true. I think. <laughs> Everything you said is true. <laughs> well, great. I think we did break our record. It looks like we're probably going to be right at two hours. So thank you, Kevin, for helping us smash up your previous record. Again. <laughs> I uh, Again. keep my promises. I'm going to extend this also for, by five minutes if you indulge me. I would. I wanted to ask you, my UA for both of you is kind of what is your takeaway from these Oscars, right? You see this list, you think of the year, you think of the nominations, and I, I'll let you. I give you some time to think about it. I can answer first. For me, it's the same thing that we talk about the Golden Gloves. Even though I haven't watched everything, and whether that is because of the pandemic or because they pushed it because of the pandemic, but the access and being able to say, oh, I want to watch Nomadland right now. I'm gonna push a button and see it. It's very nice. I really like it. Coming, I've mentioned it before, coming from Mexico, I was at the Oscars and most of the movies were like, I can see them in six months when they get here. And that's kind of a good thing, I think. Distribution and access to these types of movies is great. And I'm glad that for most of this, it sounds like everything except The Father, I could go sit on my couch right now and watch them, which I think is great. Um, so here's the thing. This is an interesting year. I think we have a very agreeable uh, list of films. I think there's not a movie that made it in here because it made $200 million. Um, talking about you, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, <laughs> or the like, right? Even Green Book. Or um, I actually thought A Star is Born is quite good. So, But like, we don't have that type of movie. These are all type of small movies and i think if theaters had been open this year and these were still the movies that came out i think promising young woman and judas and the black messiah would have made the mo most money um mm -hmm. as much as i like promising young woman there is no film that i champion this year that like all my 
energy into believing and hoping that they're going to win is in there like there is no ladybird or get out or roma or uh parasite this year where i was just blown away like often we put this maybe too much into like a letterboxed um box but i don't have <laughs> i don't have a five-star movie in this cycle and i am a generous raider uh promising young woman is the, the one that surprised me the most that kind of had stretches where it's like this is not only like a really good movie and important because there's a lot of important films i think which is great you know like use this year as an affirmative action year where we see stories that would be crowded out by a dune maybe or or a bond movie that looks pretty good or um the wes anderson movie the french dispatch and that i'm really excited mm -hmm. for or we just saw an, a new trailer for in the heights that looks mm -hmm. incredible or west side story where everybody who's seen a cut of it says it's going to you know be very successful i'm happy that we have sound of metal and minari and nomadland it's just i feel more so than in any other year i feel like i know what's going to win and it's even more solidified than usual there is no race there is no you know I feel there's no discourse around it. Everybody's okay with the choices. There is no villain. There is no Joker. There is no Green Book. Um, there is no... I know we all like Shape of Water, but people really don't like Shape of Water. Mm -hmm. um, and they're wrong, and but yes. <laughs> I think they're wrong too. Um, <laughs> but it's a controversial yeah, choice. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm... I'm excited question mark i don't think a lot of people will tune in to watch this we've already seen all life events mm -hmm. um go down in viewership of award shows like the, the emmys less of a drop-off but still quite a significant drop-off but the golden globes um a couple of weeks ago and the grammys um last sunday a 50 plus drop-off and wow the question is are we going to have these televised award shows going forward? Um, or are we going to have them on major networks? Or are they going to be on the CW, like the Critics' Choice Awards? Also, what is going to be in the Independent Spirits Awards this year? They're all independent mm -hmm. awards, so, uh, movies. So uh, that's my rant. I mostly agree with you on that. I think it's really interesting this year that... If you take the Venn diagram of movies that people generally consider to be good or great from this year that came out, and movies that were nominated for Oscars in some way, it's more of a circle than any any other time before this. And I think it's just because there were fewer films that came out, and a lot of ones that came out that weren't as good. Uh, I think that disappoints me because I'm Part of the Oscars thing is it's it's interesting looking at these films that like get a lot of popular attention and widespread attention and kind of comparing them to my favorite films from the year. Like I'm looking at my 2019 letterbox list and Parasite, I think Parasite and the Irishman actually no, in my top ten, Parasite is the only film in there that was not that was nominated for Best Picture. And that's something whereas this year 
more representation for sure. More of them are in conversation than other categories. It's just there's less diversity as far as like the types of movies and like the number of movies this year. But it's really cool that, like you said, like a lot of these films that would be also rands in the awards or not even nominated are getting a shot this year. A lot of new, exciting young filmmakers getting elevated, different acting talent. I think it's an exciting, I like what you said, it's kind of a affirmative action corrective year. And I think that will continue in the future. And I think that's exciting and it's worth paying attention to this race, even if it's not as, you know, grand or it doesn't engender me to have like strong emotions about any of the winners this year. Yeah, I, I, I looked at my 2019, 2018, and 2017 uh, letterbox list, and in none of the years I would have been able to fit more than two 2020, 2021 movies. Just yeah, no space. Uh, right there, too. Definitely trying to fit everything into a letterbox box. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's there for. That's a, that's a nice way to finish this um, this episode. It was definitely a weird year. It's going to be a weird award show. We'll talk more about it when it happened. But Kevin, thank you so much for coming. It was a really appreciate Really appreciate it. You bring a ton of uh, knowledge uh, into this. And it's always, it's always a pleasure. So thanks for being here. Thank yeah. you so much, guys. Um, yeah, come back anytime if you'll have me. Great. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe. And yeah, thanks. Talk to you next week. <laughs>